liberation, conversion, salvation. That's what we hear in our readings today. First, there are encounters with unjust systems. The systems of slavery and the Roman carceral system. Paul and Silas encounter a young enslaved woman whose masters have made her practice divination for their profit. She follows Paul and Silas for days, and finally, in Paul's annoyance, he casts the spirit of divination out of the woman, thus liberating her tongue and removing a source of profit from her enslavers. That's liberation number one. But now, Paul and Silas have really made some of the Roman authorities quite mad. They could have come through town and laid low, but instead they disrupted the control of capital and the money-making ventures of high-status people. For this, Paul and Silas are placed in the innermost cell of the prison and bound in stocks. This is a sort of maximum security prison for them. Still, Paul and Silas pray and sing loudly, giving praise to God, until an earthquake comes and shakes the foundations of the prison. This is liberation number two in our readings today. The foundation of the, prisons were, of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. For so many, that alone is the good news they need to hear. And there's more good news to follow. Paul and Silas do not leave the prison quickly after its destruction. They do not use that earthquake as their immediate jailbreak. Rather, Paul and Silas connect with the jailer who is shocked and scared. He's scared for his job and for his life. The jailer asks the men, what must I do to be saved? His life is transformed in the spirit. The same spirit that has brought the earthquake and the same spirit that has crumbled the prison comes to the guard in that very moment. As the prison is shaken, his whole life is shaken as well. That is both conversion number one and liberation number three. In his conversion, he is turning toward God and turning away from sin. This is what we do in our baptismal vows as well. We turn towards what is good and what is of God, and we turn away from and renounce those things that keep us from God. The jailer is released from a pattern of thinking that assumes our well-being is dependent on the oppression of others. He turns to new life and his whole family is baptized that very day and brought into the body of Christ. They're brought into the community of disciples. His family comes to know the salvation and liberation that comes in Jesus Christ. He is loosed from the bonds that held him down and loosed from his fears. We too are all bound and imprisoned in some way. We all feel trapped at times and bound to sin. And we must name that there are people who are literally bound and imprisoned in our society and world. They are bound for us and by us. Our liberation is the liberation of our neighbor. Their liberation is our liberation. 
Our oppression is their oppression. Likewise, their oppression is our oppression. That is solidarity. That is the body of Christ. That oneness is also the gospel truth we hear today in John. John recounts Jesus' prayer for the disciples. Jesus asks, As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one. Jesus' desire for his disciples in that day and the disciples here today is that we can be made one. The same sort of oneness that Jesus has with God, our parent. We are one in the same. We are one body. He asks for this because it will be a witness to God sending Jesus to earth. Our oneness is a witness to the salvation that we receive in Christ. So how do we do this? How do we act as one? How does our oneness, our interconnectedness, and our intersectional identity witness to the life of Christ? To answer that question, we might ask how we can seek liberation for the full body of Christ. We might ask where corruption can be converted to justice, where salvation is in the midst of that. We might ask ourselves some of these questions. How are our siblings of color liberated from the bonds of racism, xenophobia, and bigotry? Where is our complicity in the hatred that kills our siblings of color? How are children made free to learn and play and grow? How do we create a safer world for our children? How do we keep our babies fed? How are our wombs liberated from outside control? How are transgender bodies cared for with dignity in our medical systems? How do each of us have bodily autonomy over all of our healthcare decisions? How are people facing poverty able to access the resources they need for lives of liberation and sustainable lives? We could go on asking these sorts of questions about what is needed to liberate the body of Christ. These questions and concerns are constant, and for so many of us, our compassion fatigue has set in. It's hard to hold the news even in its fast cycles. Our capacity becomes limited. There's so much happening in the world around us. I do not claim to have the answers to these questions or claim that there is one clear solution to these problems. There is no easy solution. What I do know is this. Jesus is the great liberator, the author of our salvation, and the guide for all that we do. Jesus was bound, imprisoned, and killed by Roman authorities. Our knowledge of his innocence does not change the actions of those officials. But it does remind us that sometimes the systems intended to keep us safe end up hurting the righteous. If Jesus was killed by unjust systems, we know that the vulnerable today are also harmed by our systems. If Paul and Silas were imprisoned for liberating a woman held in slavery, 
we know that holy actions have a cost. And we know that systems are often unprepared for disruption and change. An earthquake shook the prison where Paul and Silas were cast away from society. It took the spirit shaking the very ground of the prison for them to be freed, for the jailer to be converted, and for his family to learn the goodness of salvation in Christ. This is much like the earthquake at Jesus' death. Matthew writes about this, saying, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Liberation and salvation shift the foundation beneath us. Liberation is hard work. Our hearts and minds will be converted again and again as we seek to see the troubles of our neighbors and as we honestly share our own pains and worries. This earth-shaking and earth-shattering work manifests the oneness we have with God and with one another. The kingdom of God will not come quietly and not in stillness either. Jesus prays for all the disciples to be one, to be one body. To truly be one is to acknowledge that the issues we see on the news are our issues. They are not abstractions or problems for other people to solve. They are ours. It is our siblings being killed. It is our children in danger. It is our bodily autonomy at stake. Let us join in earthly liberation, knowing that our ultimate liberation and ultimate salvation comes in Jesus Christ alone. Because we are one in and with God, we are one here and now. We are connected. This body needs freedom, and this body must work together and with God to achieve a world where the kingdom bursts forth a world where all are welcome, loved, and freed, where all are respected, cared for, and treated with dignity. This is my prayer for us today. May we be liberated from harmful systems. May we be liberated from the patterns of thinking that distance us from the other. May we be converted in every fiber of our being continuously converted to new life in the Spirit. May we rest in the truth of our salvation in Jesus Christ, the great liberator. Amen.